You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I'm concerned for my listeners in Michigan. It's not just the state's ratio of right-wing MAGA nutjobs to reasonable human beings that has me worried for all my listeners in Michigan and other states and the United States. And it's not just the two Republicans on Michigan's obscure board of canvassers that have me worried. A quick digression, those two Republican appointees to that board last week blocked an abortion rights amendment to the state constitution from appearing on the ballot this November in Michigan for absolutely absurd reasons. Something about a typo in the text of the measure, a couple of words being too close together. But what these two Republican fucks are really worried about, what Republican fucks all over the country are worried about right now, is another state doing what Kansas just did. Voters in Kansas, as you may recall, overwhelmingly came down in favor of abortion rights. And voters are going to do the same in other states, red states and purple states, as soon as they have a chance. More than 750,000 eligible voters in Michigan signed petitions to get the amendment onto the ballot this November, close to double the number of signatures required. So yeah, that thing is going to pass if and when it makes it onto the ballot in Michigan. And it still might make it onto the ballot this November. A lawsuit has already been filed. What I'm concerned about today, right now, is a 1931 law that came back into effect in Michigan after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. That 1931 law outlaws selling or administering drugs with the intent to procure miscarriage or produce abortion. The law is currently on hold while challenges make their way through the court system in Michigan. But it turns out banning abortion isn't the only thing that 1931 law does. But first... When we talk about medication abortion, and we have talked about medication abortion a lot on this show recently, we're referring to two hard-to-pronounce, at least for me, drugs, mifepistrone and misoprostol, or M&Ms as I prefer to call them to avoid mispronouncing them, two medications that when taken together effectively induce miscarriage and terminate a pregnancy. They're safe, they're effective, women can self-administer these drugs at home, and they're relatively recent developments. These drugs were first approved for use by the FDA in 2000. So how did this law, again, a law passed in Michigan in 1931, ban medications that wouldn't be available for decades? It's not that lawmakers in Michigan 90 years ago could see into the future. At the time, there were snake oil pills and potions and tinctures and elixirs sold through the mail under names like Dr. Peter's French Renovating Pills and Hardy's Woman's Friend that were marketed as fixes for, quote, menstrual suppression that would restore, quote, a woman's regularity and remove every impurity. These medications, these snake oil, literally in some cases oils, contain herbs, laxatives, soap, ginger, mercury. Some apparently were effective some of the time, many were not, some were toxic and unsafe. And it was the sale of those pills, mostly through the mail, that Michigan banned in 1931. But if the law comes back into effect now, post-Roe and post-lawsuits, it will ban modern medication abortions, not just French renovating pills. And the forced birth crowd wants to do just that. Ban the sale of M&Ms in person, in pharmacies, through the mail, all over the country, not just in Michigan. 
All right. So that 1931 law in Michigan that is poised to take effect didn't just ban abortion. It also banned, and I'm quoting here, adultery, blasphemy, cursing and swearing, sodomy, gross indecency, cohabitation, and seduction, according to the Holland Sentinel, a daily paper in Holland, Michigan. Once upon a time, that law also banned incest, dueling, and fortune-telling. But at some point, legislators in Michigan, somewhere between 1931 and now, legalized incest and dueling and fortune-telling, but not cohabitation or swearing. Living with someone you're not married to? A crime in Michigan, technically, and could be again soon, really. Sleeping with your mom? Not a crime in Michigan. Hell, you can duel with your mom if you want. Just don't swear at her or sodomizer, and you're good. Cassandra Liebrink and Sarah Leach, reporters at the Holland Sentinel, decided to ring up county prosecutors in Michigan to see if any of them planned to enforce the rest of this law, not just the abortion ban. They wanted to see if any of Michigan's elected county prosecutors were planning to prosecute people for adultery, blasphemy, and sodomy, and cohabitation. And they all said no. One was a little coy about it, but they all said no, really, except one. Christopher Becker, Kent County Prosecutor, says he will file charges against someone whenever the facts and, quote, applicable Michigan law require him to do so. Quoting here from Liebrink and Leach's story in the Holland Sentinel again, when asked via email if that stance was true, that he would prosecute for laws on seduction, adultery, blasphemy, cursing, and sodomy, Becker wrote simply, yes. All right. That would be crazy. It would be crazy if officials in Michigan's fourth largest and fastest growing county, where the city of Grand Rapids is located, started throwing people in jail for having roommates or swearing at them or committing adultery. Both the sad kind of adultery where someone is wronged when you cheat on your spouse or the fun kind of adultery where no one is wronged and everyone is enjoying themselves, swinging or hot spousing or cuckolding. All technically adultery, legally adultery, but not sad adultery. Liebrink and Leach's story made the rounds on Twitter last week, and a lot of very reasonable people jumped into the conversation to reassure the rest of us that no prosecutor is actually going to file charges against someone for adultery or sodomy, which the law in Michigan defines as, quote, any sexual penetration, however slight. So even a quickly aborted blowjob counts. The reassurers said that no one is going to be crazy enough to charge people with those crimes, not even... The guy who's telling us that's exactly what he plans to do? The reassurers out there, these are the same people, reassurers on the left and the right, who told us that Republican-appointed judges wouldn't be so crazy as to actually overturn Roe v. Wade. That was just talk. No way those dogs wanted to catch that car. These same folks told us Republican elected officials wouldn't be so crazy as to ban abortion in cases of rape or incest or to save the life of the mother. They also told us Republicans in red states wouldn't be so crazy as to threaten to imprison women for getting abortions. Well, Roe has been overturned and abortion is illegal in almost half the United States in all cases, including rape, incest, and to save the life of the mother. Republicans are talking about throwing women in jail for getting abortions and throwing anyone who helps a woman get an abortion into jail or helps a trans man or non-binary person who needs an abortion. No exceptions for rape, incest, the life of the mother or even trans and non-binary folks that Republicans don't want to become parents anyway. So yeah, at this point, anyone who tells you not to worry because no one is crazy enough to do that, whatever that is, however crazy that sounds, 
that person hasn't been paying attention, is crazy themselves, or is knowingly running interference for the craziest and meanest and cruelest fucking people out there who want to do and have done and want to continue doing the craziest, meanest, and cruelest fucking things to people. Listeners in Kent County, Michigan, home to almost 700,000 people, more than a few Lovecast listeners in there, you might want to be careful out there. If the courts uphold that 1931 law banning abortion and you're not allowed to vote to amend the state constitution to protect abortion rights, hell, even if you are allowed to vote to enshrine abortion rights in your state constitution, the rest of that 1931 law is still going to go into effect and you're going to have to watch your fucking mouths and refrain from picking people up on apps because seduction is against the law too. Basically, Kent County residents, whenever you want to swear or get laid, you're going to have to head to Detroit or Ann Arbor or Saugatuck to do it. Unless you want to do it with your mom. Because that's perfectly legal in Michigan and perfectly fine with Kent County prosecutor Chris Becker. Psst, Kent County voters, Chris Becker, up for re-election in 2024. Vote him out. All right, coming up on the show today on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and some ads in the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. More cues, more A's, no ads. And my guest this week, Rena Martin, a sexual intimacy coach and former sex crimes prosecutor, joins me to take a couple of questions from my listeners. We talk about preventing negative past sexual experiences with people you hated from ruining current sexual experiences, great ones potentially, with people you love. And we also talk about how to support someone who's experienced sexual assault but isn't ready and may never be ready to talk to the authorities about it. And in this week's Savage Love, the column, tips for straight teachers on finding NSA oral, tips for gay subs on finding 100% doms, and more talk about porn in long-term relationships. The column is at savage.love slash savagelove, and you can and should read it right after you finish listening to this week's Savage Lovecast. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com savage. Hi, Dan. I was hoping you could give some advice on how to navigate your partner exploring their sexuality. My boyfriend has always kind of been a little gay. He, I think he might have some shame around it that he has not really processed yet, but I'm fine with it. I, I don't mind. I found it, I think, bi guys are really hot. Anyway, he is struggling to explore this side of him and he's being very secretive and it's causing a lot of problems in our relationship where we've had a lot of uh, issues of uh, infidelity, not in the same way, but with a previous girlfriend and a lot of trust issues. Anyway, um, he's sneaking around. He apparently is slowly becoming addicted to porn and is not wanting to have sex with me anymore. So we decided to take a break from sex but I don't really know what needs to happen going forward. Any advice or tips would be greatly appreciated. Break the fuck up with him. That's how you navigate your way through this particular kind of exploration of a partner's sexuality. He's not able to be there for you sexually anymore. He's hiding whatever it is he's exploring 
whatever it is he's doing from you. He's choosing, I don't think he's addicted to porn. I don't think people get addicted to porn, but he's choosing, I assume, gay porn over sex with his girlfriend. That would be you. You guys aren't having sex anymore. You're taking a break from sex. Okay. Take a break from each other. Break the fuck up with him. Tell him to go on his explorations to go spelunk down into some dude's asses or whatever it is he wants to explore right now. But you're not just going to stand there in the apartment. I assume that you two share being completely cut out of his sex life with him having completely shut down your sex life, your shared sex life. What he's asking you for right now, it isn't, a fair thing to ask. You know, I'm having an issue. I'm on an exploration. I'm trying to figure out who I am sexually. All fine things. If you can still, I think with your, the partner who's you're asking to be patient and create some space in your relationship for those explorations, if you're still able to be there for them sexually and emotionally, and he's not able to be there for you as a romantic and sexual partner right now. And so what else does he have to do to get you to break the fuck up with him? He's got a shit on your pillow. Come on. He's not fucking you. He's hiding whatever it is he's doing from you. He's lying. He's sneaking around. He's feeding your self-esteem and sexual ego into a shredder by choosing porn over you a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. You don't have to stand there and take those body blows, those emotional blows again and again and again, because he's on an exploration and he's trying to figure out who the fuck he is. And yeah, having a bi boyfriend, that's really hot. There are a lot of straight women out there and bisexual women out there who would love to have bisexual boyfriends. Sounds to me like your boyfriend might not be bisexual. Sounds to me like your boyfriend might be gay. And if not gay, at least useless to you sexually and emotionally right now. He's not just failing you sexually and cutting you off and cutting you out sexually. He's lying and sneaking and hiding. And you're having trust issues. Yeah, he's failing you emotionally. And who knows, maybe he is bi and maybe he just needs to suck a million dicks and then he'll be ready to start having some opposite sex sex again, some heterosexual sex again. But if this goes on like this for much longer, the lying, the sneaking, the hiding, the trust issues, that fissure that's going to grow into a grand fucking canyon – if he does circle back to wanting to have sex with you, you're probably not going to want to have sex with him at that point because he's treated you so selfishly and cruelly. So yeah, maybe break up with him now. And when he's done with his explorations and he knows who he is and he can communicate with you about it, you can date again. But if you hang out with him under these circumstances, under these conditions, for the time being, when he circles back to opposite sex, heterosexual sex, you're not going to want to fuck him and you're going to have to break up with him then. So break up with him now. Hi, Dan. Straight cis male here from the South, recently divorced. I have for many years had what I guess is a fetish. 
I've always had a problem having an orgasm when I'm with a partner whose pussy doesn't get just like super crazy wet. I've been this way as far back as I can remember, and it's not from watching porn. When I was younger, my most intense experiences with sex were with women who got really, really wet during foreplay, like so wet that it was running down their legs when I was rubbing their clit. And I don't know, that just sort of stuck with me and became became a thing I need in order to get off. Uh, I've been that way for over 20 years now. So I have two questions. First, when I'm on dating sites, I don't know how to meet women who are going to be able to satisfy this fetish. I can't exactly say in my profile that I'm only looking for women who get really wet because, at least in the rural area I live in, women don't want to hear anything graphic or overtly sexual in dating profiles. So what happens is I'll meet a woman that I hit it off with, we start getting to know each other, and then we start having sex, and I can't orgasm no matter what the two of us try, no matter how many times. And sometimes I'm kind of okay with that because I'm big into pleasing my partner, so I enjoy giving her lots of foreplay, lots of oral, and as many orgasms as she wants. And that ends up becoming the biggest draw of sex for me since I can't get off myself. I kind of just get my satisfaction from their orgasms. Still, ultimately, I'd like to be able to come too, but I don't know how to meet women whose bodies do this thing I love so much without meeting women whose bodies don't. So that's my first question. How do I put this in a dating profile or how do I talk in a tactful way about my fetish with a potential partner before we actually have sex? And then my second question, I mean, I'm getting older. I'm in my late 40s now. And I'm at the age where women who are my age are reaching menopause, which means their bodies are even less likely to do this thing that I seem to need them to do. Obviously, as women age, this is a thing that's just not going to happen as much. So if I'm not able to find a long-term partner who gets me, who gets wet enough for me to consistently get off, I mean, can you get rid of a fetish you've had your whole life? Can you train yourself to not need that visual or tactile thing that you've always needed? Uh, I should also say that using lube doesn't seem to help. It's not a matter of the way the wetness feels when I'm inside her. It's more a psychological thing for me. It's like something in my brain needs to know that my partner is turned on enough that, look, she gets so wet that she can't control it. Um, I've always been somebody whose main turn on is knowing that my partner is turned on by me. And even though the logical part of my brain knows that women can be turned on without being physically wet, the primal sexual part of my brain still needs to see that wetness, to touch it, to taste it, even to have it all over me. What do I do, Dan? There's no tactful way to put must get dripping wet, must produce vaginal secretions when aroused to the point that they're running down your leg and they get all over me for me to enjoy sex. You can't put that on a regular dating app. As you already know, you say you live in a part of the country where you couldn't lead with that. Well, I'm here to tell you from another part of the country that you probably couldn't lead with that here either. This is a sort of thing. If this is absolutely something that you require, this is a sort of thing that you're going to have to find out by actually going to bed with people. Just like, you know, most people who are size queens who require great big dicks, don't ask a question about the size of a guy's genitals before they go to bed with them for the first time. They just go to bed with them. Then they see if the dude's big enough for a second date or big enough to marry and run off with forever and live happily impaled ever after with. Okay. Then you keep seeing that guy. If not, well, then you don't see that guy 
again. You know, if I, you know, if I like to get fucked in the ass and, you know, a dick that was bent or curved up in a certain way hit my prostate just so and I could settle for nothing else but that kind of dick and that was the kind of dick I wanted, it would probably turn guys off who had exactly the kind of dick I was looking for if I put that on a regular dating app. Maybe I could get away with that on Grindr, but on a regular dating app, probably couldn't get away with that. So I don't think you're going to get away with this. You're just going to have to meet women you like, get to know them, get to sleep with them, and then see. But as you correctly predict, you're on a bit of a collision course with biology here. You know, if you're dating women who are your age, roughly, and you hope to find a new long-term partner, women tend to produce less vaginal secretions as they age, just as men produce less semen as they age. And eventually, many women, including women who got gushingly, drippingly wet when aroused later in life, will be absolutely 100% just as aroused and produce less vaginal secretions. I don't know if I would describe this as a, a, a fetish. You've made this strong association between your partner's wetness, your partner flooding the basement, and your desirability to that partner. And you want to feel desired, and that's a fine thing to want to feel. A lot of women like to see their male partner hard, rock hard, rock hard the whole time because it makes them feel desired, makes them feel, it's affirming of their desirability. So I don't want to fault you for wanting that kind of visual tactile confirmation of your desirability because lots of people want those kinds of visible tactile confirmations of their desirability. But you got to be realistic and you're going to have to probably, you know, if you find an age appropriate partner and get older together, you're going to have to will yourself to create a new association, to find something else that's going on that affirms your desirability and you're going to probably have to find a lube that works for you and works for your partner. And there are lots of different kinds of lubes out there. And experiment. You know, someone can apply a lot of lube before sex, before you and your dick march into the room. If lube running down your partner's legs that you didn't see applied or have to apply yourself recreates for you with some suspension of disbelief those early sensations you can still you know meet this particular need or your partner can help you meet this particular need for this particular kind of sensation during sex even if you're you know using a little bit of industrial light and magic to recreate it you can also tell yourself that this woman who wants to sleep with you wants to sleep with you and maybe some verbal affirmation of that, maybe some dirty talk about that can take the place of all that wetness, which you're less likely to get as you get older, just as you're less likely to have reliably as rock hard directions as you had when you were younger. So this is a case where you're going to have to somehow empower your logical brain to win the argument it's having with the more primal part of your brain. 
And what you need to see, what you need to taste, what you need to touch, you may need to simulate. Not simulate your partner's desire for you, that would be there, but with the generous application of a really delicious tasting lubricant, recreate that effect for yourself with your partner's help and then buy in. Hey everybody, I hope you've been having a great summer as fall approaches before we get to the season when most people's seasonal affective disorders kick in. It's a good time to get your mental health and self-care organized. I'm a big advocate for therapy and that's why I recommend Talkspace. It can give you the tools you need to deal with challenges as they arise, strengthen your relationships, and give you a more optimistic outlook on life. There's no better time to invest in yourself than right now. And there's no need to wait until something goes wrong to work with a therapist. Things can and will and do go wrong. Challenges come because they always do, usually when you least expect them. And you want to be in better than good working order when they do. Working with a therapist at Talkspace can get you there. Talkspace is also there to help you with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. Your therapist can help you set and achieve your goals. Talkspace is mental health care that meets you wherever you are. It simplifies taking care of your therapy and psychiatry needs because Talkspace comes to you. It eliminates the need to commute to appointments, take time off work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. Plus, instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send text messages to your therapist to let them know the issues you're facing in real time. It's mental health care made easy. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code SAVAGE to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the Lovecast. That's SAVAGE at Talkspace.com. Hi, Dan. My husband, Jim, has a beard. I don't have a beard. Jim thinks beards are super hot. I don't really get it. A few weeks ago, Jim and I were at a gay resort when a drunk guy with a beard stumbled up and asked, Do you mind? Then, without waiting for an answer, he reached up and started rubbing Jim's beard. Here's the thing. I mind. First of all, the guy didn't wait for consent. Second of all, monkey pox. Now, I admit that incident was unusual, but guys are always saying how much they love my husband's beard, and at least a few times a year, one asks to touch. Jim says, If you can figure out a nice way of saying no, I'll say no. So Dan, please, What's a nice way of saying, no, look at my beard, but don't touch? Jim's a huge fan of your podcast. He's a Magnum Edition subscriber, so I know he's listening to this right now. I'm right there with you on beards. I've never found beards to be sexy. Jim disagrees with me in that stranger with a southern accent at the gay resort. He disagrees with me and you. Jim thinks his beard is sexy. That's fine for Jim. Also, I think it's telling that it's you calling into the show uh, with an issue, taking issue with other men walking up to your husband and without asking or without waiting for an answer, touching his beard. I think that's telling because maybe what it tells me is that it's not Jim who has a problem with this, with men finding his beard sexy and touching it without asking. It's you because what those men are telling Jim in those moments is that 
yeah, his beard is sexy. And every time that happens, it makes it less likely that Jim will one day wake up and shave off the beard that you don't care for, that you don't like. And like I said, right there with you, not so into beards myself. Don't want to contribute to any monkeypox shame or stigma. Of course, it is important to get people's consent before you touch any part of their bodies. And there are circumstances under which just asking for someone's consent to touch their body is inappropriate and is going to, even if it isn't technically a consent violation, feel like a consent violation or feel like you've been just straight up violated. But let's not contribute to any monkeypox panic. What we know now about monkeypox is the strain that is spreading, the monkeypox we are fighting right now, sexually transmitted. Simple touch, like reaching out and touching a stranger's beard, highly unlikely to transmit monkeypox. So no risk of monkeypox. Now, if you and Jim were hooking up with guys at that gay resort, there was your risk of monkeypox. But if you were just hanging out and there was some casual, incidental touch, even if it was technically non-consensual, at least where you were concerned. Again, I wonder where Jim comes down on all of this. Not a risk for monkeypox. As for a way to tell people not to touch your beard uh, and for it to seem nice or friendly, uh, usually when someone asks if they can touch you and you say no, they're going to be a little butthurt about that. However, nicely you put it. Men are not good. Straight men, gay men, bi men, not good at hearing the word no. No one likes to hear the word no, but men in particular, not great with the word no. So even if you put as friendly or funny or nice or charming a spin on no as you possibly could, or as Jim possibly could, if he were inclined to say no, which I wonder if he really wants to say no, since it's you calling and not Jim, since it's you that took issue with this Southern accented stranger at the gay resort touching Jim's beard without waiting for a yes, and not Jim that took issue with it. There's probably no way for Jim to say this. I mean, he can say it nicely. It's just not going to be received by the person to whom he is saying no as nice as the thing they wanted to hear. It's going to be the exact opposite of the thing they wanted to hear. And I suspect, I suspect that it's not a thing that Jim particularly wants to say, even as much as you wish he would say it. This episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Helix Sleep, makers of your next mattress. I love mine and you will love yours. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. So how will you know which Helix mattress is the right one for you and your body? Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. Then your personalized mattress is shipped right to your door free of charge, and they offer a 100-night risk-free trial. Try out your new Helix mattress to see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. Everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions 
and feel preferences. We got at our place a midnight Lux model with medium firmness because we tend to move around a lot at night. And again, Helix has mattresses with cooling technology that helps your body regulate your temperature, whatever the season. So Helix right now during this heat wave we just had, a godsend. Not only is the mattress the best I've ever slept on, but the setup was fast and easy. Helix mattresses delivered in a box straight to your door for free. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And remember, you get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. If you don't love it, but I kind of think you will, but if you don't, for some reason, they will pick it up and give you a full refund. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows to Savage Lovecast listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. Get with Helix like we got with Helix because with Helix, better sleep and cooler sleep starts now. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. So I was using my vibrator the other day, one of the, like, little handheld ones that basically stays on the outside of you. You know, I used it maybe for 10 to 15 minutes, so nothing super long. But after I used it, my hand was, like, numb and tingling for probably, oh, I don't know, like, 15 to 20 minutes after. And um, this has never happened before. I've had this particular vibrator for a long time. So I'm wondering if I'm like causing nerve damage in my hand. I tried doing some cursory internet searches, but you know, basically only found information for if you've been using a jackhammer for 10 years. And that's certainly not what I've been doing. So if you can let me know if this is something I need to like worry about. I guess I should also note that this is like a high quality toy from a high quality company. So it wasn't like getting hot or deteriorating or anything. I just, my hand was weird for a while after. I don't have much in the way of insight for you here, but I have inference. We can infer that if vibrators caused damage to the nerves, of the hands of people that are using them. We would hear about this all the time. The vibrator market, the vibe industry, $2.5 billion globally, some 60 million sex toys sold annually, according to a report in the New York Post from a few years ago. If this was a thing that happened, even in a tiny percentage of cases, when you're talking about 60 million sex toys, most of those millions of sex toys being vibrators, there would be scores of women. There would be class action lawsuits by this point. So Occam's razor, what's the likelier explanation here? Vibrators cause nerve damage and Big Vibe has somehow managed to cover that news up successfully for decades? Or you were gripping your vibrator, perhaps in a way that you don't typically grip your vibrator and you put a little pressure on a nerve that typically you don't put much pressure on and it's never happened before with this vibrator. Keep using this vibrator. See if it ever happens again with this vibrator. Or your vibrator caused nerve damage and it's only just catching up to you now and because there aren't stories in the newspaper every day and again class action lawsuits about this you are the only person this has ever 
happen to? What's the likelier explanation? One-off held the vibrator in a weird, wonky way or vibrators destroy the central nervous system. I think it's the weird wonky way. You're holding it in a funny way that you don't usually hold it. Keep using that vibrator. Keep trying. I predict it's not going to happen again. And I can infer based on the fact that there aren't those class action lawsuits I was talking about. It's not a thing that happens at all. Hi, Dan. And the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a mostly cis gay queer person out of Chicago, Illinois. And I recently joined this gym by my new apartment, and I found that what's been developing over the last month and a half-ish is this, like, really strong, like, exhibitionist kink or potentially, like, cruising kink or fantasy. I basically really enjoy being watched by other guys working out. And then also when I get into the locker room or the showers or the steam room, I enjoy having eyes on me as well as looking at other people. There's been a few situations where, like, me and some guys at the gym have, like, like kind of showed off in the showers. One guy even, like, came and jacked off while I was in the shower, like, across from him. But before I go further into, this, like, cruising and exhibition kink more, I wanted to get your like, advice and opinion on, like, cruising protocol or, like, rules, etiquette about that, as well as, like, any advice you have to someone beginning to explore this, like, exhibitionist cruising kink in general. I'm young. I'm not stupid, but I may be naive. People get annoyed at me when I'm not condemnatory, when I don't come down on anyone who self-identifies as an exhibitionist or having an exhibitionistic streak. But I don't. I I think that lots of people are exhibitionists and lots of people are voyeurs. And there needs to be spaces in the world for people to get their exhibitionistic rocks off and their voyeuristic rocks off. The trick is to find those spaces where that's welcomed, where it's kind of a norm in that particular space. You know, a family YMCA in a suburb outside of Cincinnati, that's not going to be a very cruisy gym locker room, but a gym in a mostly gay neighborhood with a largely gay clientele in an urban area in Chicago or New York or San Francisco or Seattle or Portland or Dallas or Atlanta, that's going to be a potentially more receptive in in every sense of the term audience for the show that you want to put on, that you're getting off on putting on. I sometimes think that people have problems when you talk about exhibitionism because what leaps to mind is the, you know, the creep with the erection leaping out from behind the tree in the park, flashing people, or the asshole on the subway or the bus pulling his dick out and making women in particular around them feel incredibly unsafe, violated, uncomfortable, threatened. And then people project those fears, anxieties, judgments onto gay men in a locker room at a pretty much gay gym kind of letting the towel slip open. And as you've probably discovered, caller, at your gym is people don't just, you know, strip off and waggle their dicks in front of each other. There is this dance. There is this subtle, slow 
escalation where one person who is getting undressed will subtly signal to another person who is also getting undressed that they've, you know, seen them. And there will be this moment of eye contact. And in that moment, and if there's no eye contact, that's somebody shutting you down. But in that moment, that even brief moment of eye contact, consent can be requested, granted, obtained. If you make eye contact with somebody as you're getting undressed, as you're putting your towel on, as you're moving toward the shower, and they make eye contact with you and follow you and continue to look at you, okay, you have, without any words being spoken, you have your, yes, you have a kind of consent. Also, when you talk about this kind of exhibitionism, people will leap to defend others in that space who don't want to watch you two eye-fucking each other or stroking your dicks at each other. The reality is that most men in a space like that are careful, you know, once they've established mutual interest from somebody else to angle themselves or work themselves into a corner of the steam room or a couple of, you know, the far off showers where they're the only ones that can see what each other are doing. Most people who are exhibitionists, gay male exhibitionists in those kinds of spaces are considerate. Everyone's sample is skewed because you notice the ones, you only see the ones who are being clumsy or inconsiderate. And then everyone thinks all exhibitionists in a space like that are clumsy and inconsiderate. And you do want to be considerate. Not everybody at an urban gym is a, a gay man who wants to look at your dick or your ass. Not every gay man at an urban gym is a someone who wants to look at your dick or ass. Some gay men get offended when, you know, guys show off in front of them on the assumption that just because they're gay, they would welcome that kind of attention or they want to see your gym shower boner. But so long as, you know, you're not at the family YMCA in the suburb of Cleveland or Cincinnati, so long as you are engaged in that and being very sensitive to that very subtle dance of acknowledgement and very slow escalation and a consideration for other people who do not want to watch or be involved or walk in on you two in the sauna. You're good. You're good. What you're doing is part of what makes going to the gym as an adult gay man a reward in a way, you know, to compensate for the fact that when you were a gay boy in middle school or high school, having to go to the gym was hell. Now getting to go to the gym, getting to go to the gym can be fun. And this is one of the reasons, one of the ways it can be fun for certain kinds of gay men, not for all gay men. So have fun, be careful, escalate slowly, be considerate of others. And you have my blessing. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Ricardo Gomez tweets, I was featured on the latest episode of the Savage Lovecast doing some dirty talk in Spanish. 
Thank you at Fake Dan Savage for making my year. You are welcome, Ricardo. Thank you for making the Lovecast a hotter listen for my Spanish-speaking listeners last week. Voraciously tweets, Dan Savage breaking down Indiana business tax benefits was surprising audio, but the twist in the story is not one that I would have expected. No one who opened last week's Lovecast saw the small town zoning issues coming. Kind of like nobody sees those diaper-loving adult babies coming because diapers aren't see-through. Maggie Spain tweets regarding episode 826, Dan, vaginas are not anuses. Flared bases not required. Have you ever seen a period cup, a sperm sponge? Thankfully, it's harder to lose things, quote, up there than in the anus. Soft-boiled eggs, though, still a no for me. Mrs. J. Stokey about the same call tweets, for the person who likes the experience of laying eggs, please don't put real eggs up there. There are sex toys made just for this, ovipositors or ovipositors that come with jelly eggs that are safe for insertion. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. I think a big part of the turn-on for that, well, not caller, that was somebody who was tweeting and then got tagged into the show, a big part of the turn-on for that person and her husband was eating the eggs after she laid them, and the eggs that come with ovipositors, a sex toy originally designed by and for people who fantasize about aliens laying eggs inside them. They aren't made of jelly you can spread on bread and eat, but jelly like they make certain kinds of dildos out of. Still, probably safer. All right, and a little bit more Twitter business in a tweet about the podcast. Last week, I said twinks are guys. Of course, not all guys are twinks, but all twinks are guys. That said, I'm sure there are lots of twink-identified boy dykes out there, and let me be the first to say that your twinkiness is valid. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast, and a big thank you to everybody who posted your social media this week about the show. Help spread the word, and we really appreciate it. And now, on to listener response calls. Hey, this is for the caller in episode 827, concerned about their body being visible while they're riding on top. Girl, just get a cute little nightie or like a teddy or some form of lingerie that's see-through so your partner still sees your body, but you still mentally have that feeling of being covered up. Trust me, I understand. It's not about people actually seeing you it's about your brain thinking you're covered up so just get something kind of slinky and see-through and put that on and you'll be fine hey dan long time listener just responding to that lady on episode 827 that had anxiety about uh you know riding her dude because of like body dysmorphia and putting weight on her man i definitely am a thick soft queen as well and have struggled with this in the past i always felt very self-conscious about being so out in the open hopping around and everything but i love dan's advice about the blindfold but if your trouble is you know feeling like you're putting too much weight on try putting your feet on the sides of his body and kind of like sit in a squat position and bounce in that way because it feels really good for me and also for him, I think even more. So gives you a little bit more control and yeah, you get a fun little workout out of it as well, a little booty pump. This is in response to the person in episode 827 who was self-conscious about being on top with their partner because of their size. I'm a fat gay man who, when I finally discovered men who were attracted to me physically, had a hard time reconciling their desire for me and my own feelings about my body. But one day it just dawned on me that no matter what size I was, 
there would always be people who found me at that size incredibly attractive. And my own feelings about my body really had nothing to do with their attraction. So whenever that pesky body shame voice came up during sex, I just started saying, this isn't about you right now. This guy doesn't care about you, body shame. He is into all of this, and I'm going to enjoy it. And over time, it worked, and I was more present, and I wasn't projecting how I felt about my body onto the men who were worshiping it. Plus, the sex just got better and better the more I let myself fully enjoy how much they loved my belly and my fat ass. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. Hump 2022's lineup screens every weekend online between now and October 16th. And we're screening Hump in theaters in Seattle, Ann Arbor, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Victoria, Atlanta, and Los Angeles. And did you know Hump filmmakers get a cut of every ticket sold? So, making a film for next year's festival, if you get in, good way to get laid and get paid. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets, streaming links, and all the info you need on submitting your film, your dirty little porno, to Hump 2023. There's no better way to celebrate National Butterscotch Pudding Appreciation Day coming up September 19th than by making some butterscotch pudding, spooning it into a pair of fuck first mugs, chill fuck, and then enjoy your butterscotch pudding with the person you fucked on September 19th. Get your pudding mix at your local grocer. Get your fuck first mugs at savage.love slash shop. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Rena Martine on Twitter at underscore Rena dot Martine underscore. And follow the tech savvy at risk youth on Twitter at Lovecast, T-S-A. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy, we will all be back at you next week for another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you so much for joining